Pickaxe. Strange happenings are occurring in the world of Exandria. Slayed creatures and beasts from days of yore are returning to the land of the living, and it's up to a band of unlikely heroes to re-slay them. Welcome to the Re-Slayer's Take. Join Jasmine Bular, Jasmine Chung, Jasper Cartwright, and Caroline Lux alongside Game Masters Nick Williams and me, George Primavera, in this Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition role-playing adventure through Critical Role's fantasy world of Exandria. But don't worry, you won't need to know the rules to follow this story. All you need to know is that nothing the players do is scripted or planned, and their fates are determined by their own cleverness and the roll of a 20-sided die. So what the heck are you waiting for? Adventure awaits in the Re-Slayers take. New episodes drop weekly on Mondays wherever you stream your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Howdy, folks. This is a complete recap of everything that happened in Arc 2. So that's Arc 2, Episode 1, all the way through to Arc 2, Episode 73. Before we begin, it's worth mentioning the unique nature of Dungeons & Randomness. Rather than having one group to follow throughout our world, DNR hosts three separate groups. We call these groups A, B, and C for simplicity's sake. Each group travels through the same world at about the same time, and if you listen closely to the following recap, you will likely hear the groups barely miss one another more than once. To keep our recap from being overwhelming, we decided to tackle each group individually, so... This review will be in three sections, Group A, then Group B, and finally Group C. Keep in mind that in Arc 2, every group started in the same date, so we'll be going back to that date at the beginning of each section. If you're a new listener, this recap should give you everything you need to jump into Episode 1 of Arc 3 with the utmost confidence. If you're a current listener, this episode may be a good refresher before moving into Arc 3. Either way, we hope you enjoy it. Group A. Group A began with six members. Anvin, a studious young half-elf with a frail body but powerful spirit. Of the party, he's been an adventurer the longest, and has ties to the leadership of Winterhaven. Aster, an elven archer from Brightport with a thirst for adventure. Donovan, a human fighter who quite enjoys the finer things in life. Maddie, a human cleric of a monitor who travels to share her god's light. Masoka, a half-elf brawler who was best friends with Donovan before they even joined the party, and Ubo, a half-orc druid who has been saved by Manny after a particularly dangerous fight. The two became friends with him often following her lead on crucial decisions. The group came together when Winterhaven called for aid. A fresh orc encampment had settled itself outside the city walls between the city and the Evergreen, home of the elves. The tribe of orcs that settled there were called the Mozog, and had splintered from the main and much larger orc encampment in the east over a leadership disagreement. 
So far, the town was cautiously optimistic about the orcs, hoping the new camp would not expand and try to break into their territory. As a show of good faith, when the Council of Winterhaven heard that a battalion of the Mozog orcs had gone missing, they decided to send Group A out to try and find them. If the orcs were brought home safe, it would endear Winterhaven to the Mozog somewhat, and potentially help with the dialogue between the two communities. The group was able to track the orcs to a slaver camp, where they found the battalion in question locked away in cages. After some debate, the party was able to distract the slavers long enough to free the orcs, who were furious after their capture. Together, they laid waste to the slavers and returned to the Bozog camp. Aster refused to enter. Their own opinion on the orcs made very clear toward the party, especially Ubo, during their adventure thus far. In the Mozog camp, they spoke with their leader, Gorkal, and the party learned of Ubo's troubles within Orcish society. The fact that he was a half-orc had already been a black mark against his reputation, but to them, also being a magic user, it was against everything the orcs stood for, and he'd been rejected. He'd returned to regain some honor by saving the other orcs. But it was a slow process, as the orcs were not quick to trust. Despite the obstacles, the group was able to make a deal with the Mozog. They would not attack Winterhaven or the nearby elves, so long as the party agreed to carry the equal and opposite message to the forest dwellers. The trip to the Evergreen was relatively uneventful, and the group met with Britanna, the leader of the elves. They were apprehensive about the orcs, but agreed to not attack without provocation. During this time, Anvin had a short but terse visit with his father, who was one of Britanna's advisors and they quickly made their way back to Winterhaven. On their way, they discovered a catacomb, where they found a skeleton wearing armor clearly engraved with a monitor symbol. Maddie took a moral objection of stealing armor from one of her own order, but turned a blind eye as Donovan donned the armor himself, only to discover that the spirit of the previous owner was still embodied inside. An old paladin from another time, Kirkland Sumner. The two came to an understanding and neither minded the company, though they were not very alike at all with Kirkland's firm, godly morals and Donovan's desire for all things good in the world, especially wine. Soon, the group was back in Winterhaven, accepting much praise for their accomplishments. They were given options for what to do next, and after spending some time recharging and putting on a play with the famous Leroy Garvey, they decided on taking a scouting mission to Donhurst as refugees had begun to trickle in from the town after a traumatic event. During their travel to Donhurst, the party passed by a group of slavers, and before they could decide what to do best, Maddie surprised the group by attacking. Not only that, but she was particularly vicious during the attack. It made many of her party question her sanity, until she later confessed the truth. Her mother had been a slaver, and she had been sold. She believed that a monitor's light had soothed the rage, but she still had quite a bit more to come to terms with, clearly. Masoka consoled her with tales of his own troubled childhood, raised in an orphanage where he was often hurt by the very people who were meant to protect him. They stopped in Aubrey to catch their breath after the fight. Both Maddie and Amvin previously lived there, Maddie in the temple, and Amvin with his mother before she died. Maddie visited the church and found out that Father White, the leader of the town, had taken ill. Some believed he was on his deathbed, including the next in line, Clarissa Edmund. During this visit, Masoka, taken with Maddie and unsure how to proceed, tried praying to her god. 
During this prayer, he felt a connection he had never had before. And he was certain that a monitor had just told him someone was poisoning Father White. They left this information with Clarissa before heading back out to reach Donhurst. Sadly, they didn't make it that far. On the way there, the group approached a mysterious cart. They recognized the symbol on it and knew it connected back to the Countess, a vampire who lived just outside of Donhurst, who was known for her cruelty and madness. Upon hearing this, Ubo acted rashly, setting the cart aflame and igniting the explosives within by accident. The resulting explosion killed both Amvin and Masoka, and the group quickly returned to Aubrey, hoping for a way to revive them. But first, stealing what little the cart had to offer, including a set of armor which was to be delivered to the Countess herself. Because many of the temple were tending to Father White, and very few clerics were willing to risk their lives on a resurrection attempt, their options were limited. Clarissa, however, offered the group one salvation. A deal with the demon would certainly work, and she'd done much research into the topic. While it wasn't her first choice, the lack of options caused her to panic somewhat. Maddie, a devout follower of Amonitor, was disgusted by the idea and turned the group away. Ubo, however, still felt a raging guilt inside for being the cause of his friend's death. It was Kirkland who offered some comfort. He heard Donovan's pleas and knew how much his friendship meant to the grieving man. He offered his assistance in reviving one of the fallen, at least, not telling his headmate that Kirkland's own soul would be forfeit in the balance. Donovan chose to bring back his best friend, Masoka, passing out after the task was complete, but succeeding. He never heard Kirkland speak again, later coming to terms with the fact that the two lives had been traded. But Amvin remained dead, and Ubo remained somber. In secret, he returned to Clarissa. They worked together to make a deal. They summoned a demon, not realizing that it had not just been a demon, but one of the demon lords, Darmok. Though the pact was unclear, as the price had not been named, Anvin returned. Confused and stumbling into Maddie, the cleric put together the pieces of what must have happened and denounced Clarissa and the church for making such a deal. Over this time, Maddie and Masoka grew closer, and Donovan was able to show the party his lifestyle. But once they'd regained their breath, they ventured forth once more. They crossed the divide, where they found a coffin with a body inside that had clearly been the victim of some horrible disease. They recognized that it had been something to do with the mysterious group called the Collectors. And within the coffin, they found a key that was rumored to unlock something in Brightport. Without the time to investigate further, they continued to Donhurst. When the party finally arrived to Donhurst, the rain was starting to come down at that point. They found it completely abandoned, except for one vampire named Ripley, wearing a red pauldron with the symbol of a toothy maul on it. He was the leader of a group called the Fang. He admitted to the party that he'd sold out quite a few of his other members for his vampirism, though the members that weren't eaten were given the gift of immortality as well. They were all now working under the Countess, and had formally taken over the city, with Ripley acting as the quote-unquote mayor. 
When the group objected to the Countess's tyranny, Ripley readily agreed that they should take it up with her, and offered to lead them to her castle. Group B Group B began their adventure with five party members. Praelin, a halfling bard who had his naive nature tested in his time on the road, but still kept his happy-go-lucky attitude throughout it all. Calden, an elven sorcerer and dear friend to Braylon, they had traveled with one another for quite some time before this adventure began. Tatiana, a human rogue with a criminal past, Callie, an elven druid with an affinity for foxes, and Elena, a human fighter who was a good friend of Callie before the group came together. This group started in Fair Bay, quite fittingly during a festival. They all partook in the fun, Elena testing her strength and Tatiana winning a game which allowed the party to eat for free at the Pounce and Claw. It was after this dinner that the group was attacked by figures wearing red pauldrons on one arm with a canine mouth insignia on them. Clearly, their attackers were organized, though they didn't know who had sent them until after they'd recuperated at Tatiana's loving family home. It was there that Calden and Braylon confessed to having once angered a prominent figure in the community of Brightport, the Black Hand. They had interfered with her demonic and criminal plans in the past, and they now suspected they were on her hit list. To evade their newly discovered nemesis, the group took to the north, where Calden lost his hand to a swarm of razor flies, and soon after, they were attacked by a briar troll. Callie used her druidic magic to hold the monster in place as they escaped, beaten and broken, to the town of Lockford. There they met Jordana the Blind, who offered mercy to the group and a chance for Calden to grow his arm back, though it would take quite a few ingredients to succeed in the task, that she would need the group to gather. During their time in Lockford, Tatiana met an old friend and lover named Ripley, who was now leading the group, the Fang, and as such were the same pauldron that had been on the assassins who attempted to take their lives in Fairbay. Ripley and Tatiana's relationship was clearly strained, and the young rogue revealed that it was Ripley who had allowed her to be arrested years before. The Fang, as a group, caused quite a bit of mayhem in town including one of their youngest members, Trent, flirting with Callie. It was the ever-confident Ripley who let slip that his group was going to Donhurst to retrieve the Bell of Vecna, which they were commissioned to retrieve by the Black Hand. If she had the magical item, she could revive the dead freely, as Vecna was the god of undeath. This confirmed the group's suspicions that the Black Hand had sent their first attackers, but it appeared that the ones in town now did not know who Calden and Braylon were. The group worked with the local sheriff to have Ripley arrested and interrogated him. And during this talk, Ripley offered his ex-lover a place in the fang at his side. But she refused him. Even so, she left a method of escape for him on purpose so he would not be hanged the following day. A hint that Tati's heart did not yet know what it wanted. The group spent some time debating before going to Donhurst in an attempt to beat the fang there ruin the Black Hand's plans, and take the Bell of Vecna for themselves. After setting off, the group managed to beat the Fang by at least one day, only to find the city of Donhurst locked tight. While trying to figure out what happened, they met Larg. Larg happened to be a villager of Donhurst, 
a half-orc paladin of Arathus. He had been out of the city for official business and was just as confused as the others as to its current state. While the group searched for anyone from the town to talk to, Braylon and Tatiana split off to loot the shops nearby. Shortly after, all hell broke loose as demons descended upon the town. Many of them made out of humans, some of whom Larg recognized as peers. The nightmarish scene had the Bell of Vecna to blame, as they found out that the ritual for the Bell of Vecna had been performed improperly, which had allowed for the current state of things. Calden and the group were able to find the Bell of Vecna and perform a counter-ritual to secure the town and lock away the demons, though it had been a terrifying encounter. It seemed before they could even take a breath, the fang was upon them. Though the group used Trent's affinity towards Cali to get information from him before tying him up and throwing him into a closet. After sneaking out of the city, Group B chose to go west to see if anyone had managed to escape Donhurst before the demons invaded. To reach Aubrey, however, they needed to cut through the Divide, which was known for quite a few dangers. Apparently, none quite as dangerous as the human Tamara and her friend Grayson, who turned out to be a werewolf and vampire, respectively. They ran from Aubrey to protect themselves, and the group became very split as far as what to do about the pair. Some, like Tatiana, felt as though the only good werewolf was a dead one, while others in the party argued that as long as Tamara could control herself, she was safe. Finally, the group decided that as long as the two promised to return to the city of Aubrey and confessed what they were, they would let them leave safely. Once reaching Dernhollow, they discovered that Grayson, the vampire, was the son of Father White. Larg's focus was elsewhere, however, as he found his mentor and friend Ellen, along with several other survivors from Donhurst. They were going to make their way to Winterhaven, and Ellen was going as well. Larg confessed to her, that he was having a crisis. He believed that the group he traveled with were good people, but they kept doing bad things. Ellen advised him that those were the people who needed Arathis the most, and Larg reluctantly agreed to stay with his party. The half-orc only lived to regret that decision, as they were not far from town when they were once again attacked by Black Hand assassins. They were meant to apprehend Braylon and Calden this time, but it was Larg who received the fatal blow while protecting them. The group brought Larg back to Aubrey and Ellen, in a show of martyrdom and love, sacrificed her life to revive him. Far from relieved at his own second chance, Larg was furious at his group for allowing Ellen to do such a thing. Though he stayed in the party, the tension between them was all thick. Because of all that had happened, Braylon finally insisted they do something about the Black Hand, no longer willing to let others hurt and die in his place. Count and the group agreed, and they began their journey to Esterholt and the Temple of Cord, hoping that the army of paladins there would be willing to help them against their foe. On the way through the Black Rock Mountains, however, the group found themselves in still more deadly situations. It was a dragon who fell both Larg and Braylon in a single plume of fire on top of a lonely peak. The rest of the group managed to slay it, but the two burnt and broken bodies made celebration impossible. 
as Keldon held the tiny corpse of his longtime best friend. He pleaded with his party to let him use the bell. Still in their pack, safe from the Black Hand's clutches, but all too tempting for those who have suffered too much loss, too fast. The group slowly but surely agreed. Braylon and Lark being two of the best among them, and their friendship too strong to allow them to stay gone. They wrote letters to their loved ones before they began to prepare the ritual, which Calden took onto his own shoulders for the most part. He needed complete focus, however, which became difficult as the spell began to work. It took every living member of the party to protect Calden during this ritual, and a portal broke open between their world and hell itself. Sogoth, a demon lord, appeared. Deathly pale and coated with bruises and cuts, the demonic creature started to pull herself from the portal, and Elena attacked. This only brought a smile to the demon lord's face. And the simple words, Now I have to take something from you. Before the situation could grow more dire, however, the demon was cast back. A figure, tall and split down the center between living and death, appeared before them. Vecna, the god of undeath and secrets themselves, had come to speak with the party. Group C Group C started their adventure with five as well. Avalan, a human fighter with a limited amount of social graces. Ephany, a gnome bard and good friend to Avalan, who often helped him navigate the civilized world. Kaluna, a wild and druid who was thirsting for adventure after visiting home. Elorath, a halfling barbarian with an optimistic personality despite witnessing much death with her previous party. And Clara. A half-drow fighter who asked Elorath to mentor her after seeing the halfling fight in an underground brawl. With their group only newly assembled, they had headed to Fair Bay as Kaluna had insisted there was an adventurer there with a great quest for them. The rest of the group, rather aimless, followed. Merrick, it turned out, was an ex-adventurer, an old friend of Kaluna, who now ran a restaurant called the Pounce and Claw. When the group arrived, he was happy to see his old friend, but was seemingly just as confused as they were as to why he was sought out. Regardless, he decided to join them, as being a restaurateur had become menial. Without a new destination entirely in mind, the group started toward Whitehedge to look for odd jobs to pick up, only to run into an odd sight on the road ahead. A corpse holding a box of what appeared to be some sort of drug. Clara insisted that they leave the box behind, wary that the corpse looked as though a disease had melted its skin away. Before this advice could be heeded, the body was looked over for loot. Within hours, they recognized symptoms of a terrible malady, sloth fever. Settling into Elorath, as the halfling had been the only one to touch the corpse directly. Terrified, and knowing the deadly end to such an illness, the group sought help in Lockford from a shop owner named Jordana the Blind. She was uncertain, as Lockford had many ills befall it, 
but she pointed them to the temple in Onakal, far to the south, where Elrath may be cured, and gave them horses to help them reach the city in time. On their way to help Elrath and reach the city of Onakal in the middle of the desert known as the Wastes, the group found themselves stuck in a sandstorm. The eclectic mix, not handling the situation particularly well, especially Avalan, who became more feral during this time, trapped with the others. Thankfully, the storm did eventually pass, and in its wake, Merrick was able to find a statue of Barak, a powerful demon who was able to communicate with him through the item. It was an interesting discovery, but the focus of the group stayed on Elorath's plight, and Merrick kept the statue's voice a secret from the others. When they reached on a call finally, the group was able to find the temple of Avandra, where a cleric named Vasus was able to cure Elorath's illness, and in doing so, awakened an interest in the gods and the halfling. It was here that Kaluna left the group, pleased that they were able to fold Merrick back into the life he belonged in, as well as make sure Elorath was safe, and wished to return to their people in the Silver Glade. The group enjoyed the city for some time, until they were given a mission by Poe Tutillo, an attaché to the city, to visit one of the Eladrin leaders, and from there, were sent by the Eladrin to the city of Brightport in the north with a message. The Eladrin had decided they no longer wished to be associated with Brightport, and would not be paying taxes to those that had given them the city in the first place. That they were nervous as how the message would be received by the three houses of Brightport, Group C took their duty seriously and left the next day. During their trip north, they found a temple in the woods while trying to find shelter from the rain, a lost temple of Vecna. They delved inside, excited to be the first in decades, perhaps centuries, to bold the traps and reach the end, only to then find out that a group calling themselves the Royals had already taken most of the spoils for themselves and then reset the traps, leaving a taunting note at the end of the crypt. Clara left the area with Vecna's ring, but that was nothing compared to the sword which the royals had claimed as their own. Merrick reacted very poorly to this news and vowed to get back at the royals at any cost, after their current mission was carried out, of course. Just outside of Brightport, the group rescued a halfling known as Sleazy Pete, owner of a brothel within the city walls. He was grateful to the rescuers enough that he invited them to try his wares. While Avalan and Merrick received massages from a mole named Big Richard, Clara indulged in the human vampire Whisper's talents. The next day, the group separated to give the news to the houses. House Hammerhand and House Silverclaw both took the news about as well as one may expect from hired hands and assassins. But it was Tessia Merrick had been most worried about. She was the head of House Dragonkeep, old and dear friend to Merrick, and rumored to have been killed. While they were wandering Brightport, and Merrick was going to check on House Dragonkeep, where they had all agreed to meet, they stumbled into a young man named Varys, who asked to join their group. He wished to see the world, and can offer up his skills as a monk, as long as they agreed to bring him along. They did, happy for another hand to help them on their way. Thankfully, Merrick found out from Tessia herself that rumors of her death had been greatly exaggerated. In fact, it was a ruse to keep herself safe from the Black Hand, 
a rising figure in Brightport who had no house, but was amassing power regardless in petty crime. Given all the stress she was under, it made sense that the news of the Aladrin's betrayal, a group she had fought for when they needed her help, was the final straw. She took a cart that day out of the city to go to Onacol directly, and asked the group to go to Aldmore to the north, and inform her assistant where she was going, as well as find more information about the Black Hand and her potential connection to demonic magic. In the safety of the city, before they took off once more, two important events happened. First, Merrick confessed to the group something he had been holding close to his chest. Not the statue, but the fact that he was a werewolf. The group took this better than many would, especially Elorath, who had experiences with werewolves, and had every reason to be furious with Merrick. However, she remembered how hard he'd fought to save her life, and agreed that he was a good man. The second revelation was Ephany, who informed the group that she wished to return home. She trusted them with Avalan, who had improved quite a bit in her time with them, and after saying goodbye, left that night. The group traveled north, and met Tessia's assistant Diana in Aldmore, along with a human cleric named Iris, who vehemently worshipped Vecna. She asked to come with the group to research further on demons, and they agreed to all head to the magical city of Umaniero to continue the calls. While Diana went to Onacal to help Tessia in the south. However, in Umaniero, the group learned many interesting things, namely that the royals were there as well, researching the gates, which were believed to be a method of travel across all of Theria. If the royals were to discover the source of these gates, and furthermore, actually use them, they could become overnight sensations with the entire planet, unlocking secrets that the world had been thirsting for. The group unanimously agreed that turnabout was fair play, and decided to make the gates their new priority as soon as they got the information they needed to find for Tessia. Many deals were struck and information discovered in Umaniero. Jody, the lead researcher, agreed to fund their expedition and help them find all the information they needed. During this time, Avalan managed to slip through the cracks of the group. Lost without Ephany, he was lured into an old man's house, where he was tied down and used to experiment on. Terrified and overwhelmed, he managed to break his bondings and killed the old man in cold blood, only gathering himself after the deed was done, fleeing the scene immediately after. Later on, the group all met up in a tavern, where Merrick ran into an old flame named Tia, and the two had a heartwarming discussion. They had broken up due to complications with Merrick's lycanthropy. At the same time, Avalan confessed his sin to Clara, who immediately turned to Merrick for help. They agreed to keep the murder a secret, even from the rest of the party, and do their best to distance themselves from the situation and the city, which, given the ship that they were going to set sail on later that day, proved to be easier physically than emotionally. They gathered on their ship with their new crew and set off, hoping to find new information on the gates on the continent of Kodai, and hopefully complete their task before the royals. And that should get you all ready for Arc 3. 
Arc 3 of Dungeons and Randomness begins on September 2nd, 2019, so look for it then. Don't forget to share this with your friends. Make sure they catch up before September 2nd. You get to interact and share your opinions with our wonderful listenership. And if you're new to the show right now, thank you so much for giving us a shot. Please leave any comments down below, let us know how we're doing, and we will see you on September 2nd for the kickoff of Arc 3. Until then, bye everyone.